0: To what's Eric eating? Culture Map's weekly look at all things Houston bars and restaurants. I'm your host, Culture Map food editor Eric Samla. I have Shion Akawa from Ramen Tatsuya coming up in a little bit. But first, I'm joined by my co-host this week. He is a passionate advocate for the Houston food scene and your unofficial tour guide to Mexico City. Matt Harris, welcome back to the show. How are you, Daddy? <laughs> Doing well. I'm glad to hear it. Let's dive right into the news of the week. Topic number one, Texas celebrity chef Tim Love has closed his three restaurants at Levy Park. They were Love Shack, a burger joint, Side Dough, a coffee and pastry shop in a double-decker bus, and most prominently, Woodshed Smokehouse, a live-fire restaurant that served barbecue and other things. Matt, let me just throw it to you. Did you... uh, do you have any thoughts on these restaurants? Did you did you patronize them? Will you miss them?
1: Uh, I, I'm not sure that I'll I'll miss them necessarily. I think that's a pretty crowded field. Uh, burgers and and smoked meats are something that Houston does pretty well already. And my humble opinion. The, those restaurants didn't really do anything to separate themselves.
0: Yeah, no, I, I think that's right. I think, you know, I think Love Shack had some potential, right? A casual burger joint in a in a park like where children are and there's the dog park and everything. That made quite a bit of sense to me. And there was there were some interesting components of woodshed, right? They used, they cooked Different uh, meats with different kinds of wood. they they had a global perspective. You could get you know, smoked hummus or pork and You know, I, I think it's always kind of tricky when when a restaurant like that tries to do sort of traditional Texas barbecue because it always seems like that's where they come up short. And I remember visiting uh, once with a publicist and and you know, it's like, oh, we got to get the barbecue. And they cut the brisket really thinly, which is usually a sign that it's not cooked very well. Because that's one of those sort of cheater ways to hide overcooked brisket. And and, you know, I remember thinking that there were there were other things that I liked quite a bit about uh what they were doing, but but that the that the barbecue kind of came up short and, and I don't know that it, it was really marketed very well. You know, it, it had the sort of the bad luck of opening a week before, restaurants were closed for dine-in in 2020, and and it I just don't think it ever really quite recovered.
1: Well, I think there's uh, uh, you touched on something else too, which in in Houston is, is unique in maybe the sense that if out of town concepts, particularly at this level, um, if you don't come in and sort of become part of the community. They, they tend not to do very well. And I'm not sure that that ever happened, COVID challenges aside, but you know, that certainly didn't
0: help. I think that's a good point, right? We never saw, you know, we didn't see Tim Love hanging out at the Houston Barbecue Festival, you know, meeting the people, shaking hands. You know, there weren't community events. And, and I think, I think to a certain extent, the pandemic really, really undermined whatever efforts they might have, you know, good intentions they might have had when they first opened in Houston. But, you know, I, I think that's right. I think, you know, if you're going to come in from out of town, you really have to like actively engage and, and kind of, you know, assert your presence. And, and certainly just one contrast of a high profile chef is, is Aaron Bluedorn, right. Who's, who's had fundraisers and who, even before the restaurant opened was at Southern smoke, you know, serving food and meeting people and, and just, you know, very organically built a following. And, and I think that's, that's a, that's a productive approach. And then there's, you know, sort of the woodshed open the doors and see who shows up approach. And well, I think that's one of the reasons it's not open anymore.
1: And, and, you know, it's usually, they're usually more than, than one reason. I think that certainly didn't help. And again, will I miss them? No, but that's, that's not necessarily a bad thing. It's not a criticism against
0: them sure but humor me speculate just a little bit i mean we have i don't know about the double decker bus but you know from my perspective we have the the burger stand in one corner of the park and the you know a really nice looking uh very well equipped restaurant uh in the other corner do you have like a wish list is there anything in particular you would like to see uh take that take that location and and reconcept it
1: Um, you know, I try to shy away from suggesting what other people should do with their money. So it will not surprise me if, if that spot is, uh, not on the market for long. I, uh, I think there are a lot of positives, but, uh, yeah, someone else is going to have to make those decisions.
0: Well, look, I mean, obviously, you know, I'm, of course I'm open to Whatever, you know, business person, restaurateur, can come to an agreement with Levy Park about how to move forward. I'm sure they're gonna get any number of inquiries. But my my first thought was that if underbelly hospitality was looking to expand wild oats, for example, I know they've got a lot on their plate, but you know, they could essentially recreate what they have at the Houston farmers market. Wild oats could go into the into the woodshed space and underbelly burger could pop into Love Shack space. You know, something like, um, you know, Ronnie Killen, obviously, again, a lot on his plate. He just took over the burrow and bowl space for a new location of Killen's Barbecue. But if you ever wanted to bring that concept inside the loop, he could he could do kind of what he has planned for for Cyprus. Uh, Killen's Barbecue plus Killen's STQ in the in the woodshed space and Killen's Burgers in the Love Shack space. You know, maybe throw in a couple of the tacos from Killen's TMX. But but obviously, you know, it's all it you know, that that's pure speculation based on absolutely nothing other than me sort of thinking about like what, what could potentially be a fit there. And so we'll see, you know, I, I'm, I'm obviously, uh, we'll be very curious to see who claims it and, and what happens. Cause it's, it's such a great, it's such a great property. It's a, you know, it's a thriving park. It's, it's right in the heart of upper Kirby. It's uh, right next to Greenway Plaza. It's got all the potential in the world.
1: Yeah, Money Cat's going to be going in there. So, you know, that's another feather in the cap for that development. So, yeah, I'm with you, Daddy.
0: (laughs) All right, let's move on to topic number two. Gatsby's Prime Steakhouse owner, Luis Rangel, has announced that he is opening Gatsby's Prime Seafood in the former Tony Mandola's space. Uh, Matt, I know we've talked about Gatsby's Prime Steakhouse on the show a couple of times, but have you had the opportunity to dine there? And if so, what is your opinion of it?
1: Uh I have not personally. I will say, just in talking to people, it's consistently has received thumbs up, but uh it has evaded me. I'm gonna I'm gonna put the uh put the onus on Gatsby, not myself. <laughs>
0: Yeah. It never, never accept responsibility. You know, I I will say like, I've, I've been there once and really enjoyed it. And part of what I enjoyed about it was, you know, it's, it's very sort of classic, I say classic modern it's, it's similar in its approach to, you know, certainly steak 48 or Mastro's, you know, elaborate seafood towers, you know, big steaks, lots of creative sides, like way beyond the usual, you know, cream spinach and, and that kind of thing. But like you, I'd say that the feedback that I get from friends is that it's consistent. It's, it's very consistent and very good. So, you know, that speaks well of, of the whole team over there. And the other thing that speaks well of it is that it's grown. You know, there was that, uh, you know, when it first opened, they had the bar next door, Daisy Buchanan's, you know, they realized pretty quickly that that just needed to be more Gatsby's, you know, and so they, they merged them together and, uh, Yeah, it's been, from from all accounts, very successful. And so, you know, I'm I'm excited to kind of see what they do in this larger space. I don't know. What do you think about, you know, there's a lot going on in that kind of, you know, West Gray, West Dallas, Allen Parkway corridor. You know, certainly Georgia James just opened there. We have Andiron, the new uh, live fire concept from the guys behind uh, the pit room and Candente coming soon. How do you see Gatsby's Prime Seafood fitting into everything that's going on over there?
1: Well, I mean, certainly, probably better that it's not steak. But I will say, I think that seafood has some potential for for growth there. So it seems like a good fit.
0: Yeah, I, I think, you know, the the one thing that sort of occurs to me is that Part of what makes Gatsby so exciting is that it's it's intimate. It's not quite it's not quite New York shoulder to shoulder, but you know it is in that old pax Americana space that was always pretty tight. And so how do they keep the intimacy that's that's maybe a core component but apply it to a restaurant space that's seven thousand square feet or or maybe you don't. maybe you just go in another direction and that'll be their their challenge to create just a whole different atmosphere but but i'll be I'll be very curious to see how that comes together.
1: As you said, it it's uh uh the competition for the dining dollar is is gonna be pretty fierce over there, but I, I, I do think generally that there is is space for a seafood concept. So if they if they can do that successfully, I think that's good for both them and for the Houston Diner.
0: Absolutely. And then topic number three, I thought we should note that. Tim Hortons, the Canadian favorite coffee and donut shop, has opened its first location in Katy. Matt, I, I availed myself the opportunity to take a drive out there even before they had announced that it was open just to sort of see the place and, and get a coffee and a donut. You know, I, I encountered a woman in line there who said she's been living in the U.S. for 30 years from Canada and she couldn't be more thrilled. You know, I, I, I guess, let me, let me just ask you, what do you think? Is this like, is this basically nostalgia for Canadian expats or, or do you think Tim Hortons is the, uh, is the donut shop that cracks the code and, and puts a dent into uh Shipley's domination of the city?
1: Uh, I I am not sure to be honest. Uh, it is impressive the number of locations they have in Canada so my sense is they'll, they'll probably uh, they'll do okay. I don't I don't know what their expansion plans are, but you know you look at something. Um, what's the other coffee shop that's just expanded on the kind of spring area, Spring Willam Dutch Dutch Brothers?
0: Yeah, Dutch Brothers from from Oregon.
1: Yeah, they they seem to come in and and really uh, seem to be pretty busy whenever I happen to drive by. So uh, I'm not super familiar with the coffee scene in Katy, but I, I have had their uh, coffee before and uh, it's pretty good. I, there, I, I would stop there before I would stop a lot of other places. Let's put it that way.
0: Yeah, I, I think that's fair. I mean, I, you know, I got a coffee, I got a couple of donuts. I thought they were competitive with other national chains. I think You know, there's an interview with the the franchisee who's behind this who basically said they want to have better coffee than, you know, the typical fast food restaurant, you know, your McDonald's of the world and better pastries than dedicated coffee shops like Starbucks. So if they could sort of, you know, and and be more affordable. So if they could sort of hit that mark and, and be a convenient and affordable option for people, I think they'll do just fine.
1: I also think you uh, hit one of the buzzwords there, Daddy. Convenient. It is a world of convenience these days, especially for that coffee and and pastry segment.
0: Yeah, I obviously you know online ordering is is key. You know, speedy service is key. But of course, you know, there's so much excitement about this. They're completely overwhelmed. So I, I was looking on social media. I think waits of up to an hour not uncommon. So I would say anybody who's eager to check it out, bring a little patience, just recognize that they're pretty overwhelmed right now. And then, you know, maybe wait for, they, they've announced two other locations. So maybe wait for those to open or just wait for some of the hype to die down before making the journey to Clay Road and Grand Parkway to, uh, to visit Tim Hortons. True story, Daddy. All right, Matt, I'm going to say that does it for the news of the week. We will be right back with our restaurants of the week. Stick around. This podcast is brought to you by Green Street. Located in the heart of downtown Houston, Green Street celebrates delicious cuisine, exciting entertainment, and live music, all in a vibrant urban setting. Green Street is the perfect spot for a dinner and drinks before or after a big game downtown. Grab a bite al fresco from on site restaurants such as Guadalajara del Centro, The Palm, House of Blues, or MS Seafood Steaks and Oysters. Now, I'll have to say, I had the opportunity to visit The Palm, which relocated to downtown last year. It's an exciting update to just a classic Houston steakhouse, still with the prime steaks, still with the giant lobsters, but in a refreshed and updated atmosphere. If you're not coming for dinner or after dinner, Enjoy a drink and live entertainment from Pete's Dueling Piano Bar, or grab your friends and head to 810 Billiards and Bowling for a night of fun. Whatever the occasion, make Green Street your downtown destination of choice. Located at 1201 Fannin Street, go to greenstreetdowntown.com to see a full list of bars, restaurants, and entertainment destinations. That's greenstreetdowntown.com. Matt, for our restaurants of the week, I want to start with Pacha Nikkei. This is the new Peruvian-Japanese fusion restaurant that opened on Westheimer, just east of the Beltway. It comes from Chef Masaharu, who was at, uh, who, who originally opened Pacha Nikkei at the Polton Row Food Hall. He's worked at Latin Bites and done a little bit of time in the mad BCN world. Matt, let me, just, let me just throw it to you. What did you think of our experience at Pasha Nikkei?
1: Uh I thought it was very, uh, it has a certain charm to it. The menu, I think, falls in the, uh, the arena that, uh, that interests me. Big fan of, of both Peruvian and Japanese food. I enjoyed our meal. I probably will uh, let the kitchen get a little bit of time under their feet uh, before going back. But uh, really comfortable space, really gracious service. So curious, really. It's, that that was that was the takeaway for me.
0: I mean, I agree with most of what you said. I mean, i was I was impressed by the size of the menu. I mean, there's eight different ceviche options. There's you know six or eight. Uh, Baki rolls, a handful of appetizers, and, and then some hot plates like grilled octopus and of course, Lomo Saltado. So, you know, there's, there's really like no shortage of choices. You know, I'll be the hatchet man. I'll, I'll talk about a couple of the things that, that maybe came up a little bit short for us, but, but were there a couple of dishes that particularly impressed you? Things you'd go back for?
1: Well, certainly the desserts, they were both outstanding.
0: Yeah. We had a, uh, we had the namalaka, a, uh, a chocolate capsule. It had a little bit of spice, and then the lucuma cheesecake. Uh, I found out Alejandra Salas, who used to be at Blue Dorn, was the consultant who created those recipes for Pasha Nikkei, so that, that explained some of their deliciousness.
1: Indeed. Um, the Ceviche Classico was also a highlight. I, I thought it was really well-balanced. It had just nice textures, quality fish, nice punch of acid and it just that dish is almost like a a litmus test it either kind of is or isn't so it really checked the box for me and uh i thought it was uh, a fair portion size for the price and uh that that gave me hope for the other dishes i think that maybe just need a little bit of tweaking on 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 some execution but enough promise for for me to to uh kind of put it on the 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 calendar, hey, maybe it's time to revisit.
0: Yeah, I, you know, I, I there were a couple of dishes that came up a little bit short. You know, certainly the the octopus ceviche was in this like olive brine, and you know, I think for me the olive flavor just kind of, you know, that that brininess just kind of overwhelmed the the flavor of the octopus. And you know, we tried octopus again. We got a grilled piece of octopus that just didn't have that that char, you know, that sear. I like octopus when it's really firm and meaty. This was just a little bit flabby, nothing, nothing that can't be fixed necessarily, but maybe something to be mindful of for anyone who's, who's headed that way. I I will say I got a Pasha Baki roll that I enjoyed very much with, uh, with shrimp tempura and tuna, A little sweetness from mango, you know, just a really enjoyable uh, kind of fun fusion sushi roll. So, yeah, I mean, I, 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 I think there's a lot to like here. You know, I've, I've remembered after we had ordered and and I was sort of looking at their social media, like, ah, oh, you know, probably should have gotten the lobster ceviche treated ourselves to that. You know, they have a full range of Peruvian cocktails. I had a, a really nice Pisco sour. So, you know, I think wobbles aside, I think there's, there's, there's some excitement about this, about this restaurant and, and a place that I, I'd like to go back, you know, uh, you know, give them a, give them a couple of weeks to kind of get their sea legs and then give it another shot. Something like that, Daddy. And then uh, the other restaurant I want to talk to you about is Neo because we both dined there recently. This is the, the omakase concept in, in a clothing store in Montrose. I think we've talked about Neo kind of in, in other contexts in our end of year wrap up. We've sort of debated whether or not it's a restaurant. Uh, they won a tastemaker award for in our best pop-up startup category, but but I don't know that we've really talked uh, in much depth, at least not recently, about what it's like to eat there and and whether it's worth what they charge, which is two hundred sixty dollars, which includes service and uh, wine and sake. So Matt, let me just uh, I, you've been you know you're uh, you were uh, quoted in a recent chronicle story as a as a neo fan. So let me just ask you what what do you find so compelling about it? Why have you been there, according to the Chronicle, almost twenty times?
1: Well, I've officially been outed.
0: It's going to be in print and everything.
2: Oh
1: goodness! Uh, You can have it in print. Yeah, (laughs) I thought I I didn't. I was not told these things. I'm kidding. The uh, I just think it's a really compelling. Worth is is not necessarily the word that I would use. I think worth is, is sort of a slippery slope. I tend to view these things more in uh, ROI, return on investment. And uh, part of that calculation is, is also framing. And as much as anything, it's also individual. So is it worth it? I think that that's something that each person needs to decide. For me, is its it? Is it quote unquote worth it well clearly I I've, I've been often I've had nothing but exceptional experiences it it checks the the, uh, on, on, the on the ROI reminds me of the uh, hot crazy matrix which we all may or may not be familiar with <laughs> N- Neo is the unicorn so I think, If someone is considering going and it's something, obviously, they're familiar with the price, they're familiar that's not a... uh, It's not an
0: inexpensive proposition, but...
1: It is not an inexpensive proposition.
0: But but I think for me, having just been there, I was so impressed just with the way they're able to layer different flavors of, you know, really builds the umami uh, in some of these dishes. I mean, I think about... You know the twenty-eight day dry aged uh, mackerel with black garlic mole. You know the chuturo with the fermented leeks. It's kind of gets that, you know, a little bit of that Funyuns vibe, or the uh, the butter based hen of the woods mushroom nigiri. I mean, the the quality of the cooking, the the textures, the flavors. You know, I I, don't, I haven't had dishes like that, and and the way that, that the two chefs are able to sort of pull you know one dish is inspired by bagels and lox one dish is inspired by trips to mexico you know it's not it's not just a, a traditional japanese progression it's 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 incorporating all these other flavors and that's really exciting to me as a diner and that's you know i there's not really another opportunity like that at least in houston that i'm aware of and so you know i i would say it's worth it you know assuming you can afford it assuming You like this kind of dining, you know, counter service, very intimate room, and all that. I think it's very rewarding.
1: Right, I I think that uh, you know they don't take themselves too seriously. The the level of ingredients they are using is is very high. They use them in ways that are unique and interesting, and you know you're they're checking the boxes. You're you're getting sweet savory the desserts are fantastic um as as i alluded to in in the article it's it's a complete experience and when and there's something to me that's very attractive as a diner because it it's it's that experience that keeps me going back it's you know is it, it does the food stand up absolutely but the experience uh, just sort of grabs me in a way. And, and you know, if I, uh, I mentioned the, f- the framing and that uh, is it worth it or not, and the framing for me is along the lines of I can go out for two nicer meals or I can visit Neo once and I'm likely going to choose Neo.
0: Right. I, I think, you know, part of what, you know, you talked about the experience, but it's only eight people around that counter on any given night. And so, you know, if you have a question about a way a dish is prepared or, or what inspired something, you know, just speak up and and it's, it's hard to find that level of interaction with the chefs preparing your food at any other restaurant, you know, that kind of personal attention, that, that level of care, you know, we talk about wanting an experience, wanting something memorable, that's hard to find. And, and I think that's one of the things that's made Neo is so successful even apart from the food and and like you, I think uh, a reason that I would go back
1: true story, daddy I and mean, there I, I, I try to take three things uh, when i when I go into eating any meal, uh, whether it's neo or you know whether it's fill in the blank. be present, be curious, and be humble and neo is made for uh, really special experience a lot of
0: a lot of times. Absolutely. All right. Matt, I think I'm going to leave it there. Thank you very much. Thanks, Daddy. And I'll be right back with Shio Nakawa. I am joined this week by the Senior VP of Culture for the restaurant group behind Ramen Tatsuya. Shion Akawa, welcome to the show.
2: Thanks for having me, Eric. It's been a bit. The last time we talked to each other, I think it was uh, uh I asked you a recommendation on the best bolognese in town. and I think your answer was Giacomo's.
0: I, I think that recommendation holds up. I think that would still be my recommendation.
2: Yeah, I... I cannot agree more. It's a, uh, it's, it's beautiful.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and then just to save myself the DMS. Yes. Nono's pasta at, uh, Noby's is also very good and should be on the list.
2: Yeah. I mean, it's, it's been a bit like, you know, I think after like, uh, during COVID and all this stuff, like I decided to get really deep into making my own, like red sauce and bolognese and, uh, short rib ragu and all that stuff so like i'm still like still trying and checking out like new places to go but we'll see
0: good well let me let me just kind of start at the beginning maybe just kind of explain your title what does it mean to be the senior vp of culture for a restaurant group i mean i we'll get into this in a minute but you know obviously there's there's ramen tatsuya in houston but you have you know, Ramen Tatsuya, multiple locations in Austin. You have Kamuri Tatsuya. You have Dip, Dip, Dip. You have uh, Tiki. You've got, you guys have a lot going on. So, uh, yes, so what sir, is it, we do. So what does it mean to be the senior VP of culture?
2: So uh, I think uh, the sum up can be done by um, by me explaining what we're doing right now. Um, so Raman Tatsuya uh, started we had our first grand opening in our North location in Austin, uh, on September 1st of 2012. And it has been 10 years since, um, we've had our 10 year anniversary party for our staff, as well as, uh, we celebrated, uh, throughout all of our ramen Tatsuya's and our, uh, full service concepts, um, uh, of our 10 years. And currently, Today, we're on day three of training for our fifth iteration of Raman Tatsuya at, uh, in South Austin currently. And one of the things that uh, we decided as a group, as a company, is that we need to make sure and ensure and ingrain uh, our learnings throughout this time. So one of the things that are the most important for me is for us to give knowledge to our future generation of leaders and our uh, aspiring uh, ramen cooks or anybody who wants to uh, to be part of the company and grow with us. And as you know, we are uh, currently opening up uh, our fifth ramen shop here in Austin. We are also uh, uh, opening up in Probably towards the end of the summer, sometime in a month or so, our barbecue iteration of ramen tatsu as well. And so, my job is mostly try to uh, exert a certain amount of continuity in what we're doing, and be respectful of uh, our past in order for us to get to our future. Does that make sense?
0: It does, and and I guess you know that sort of leads in the direction of you know as you said you know 10 years ago you opened the first ramen tatsuya uh, i would say i i guess i'd describe it as sort of a north austin uh, strip center credited as being the first brick and mortar ramen shop in austin you know it's a it's a pretty ambitious thing obviously ramen had been you know successful in other cities but it it hadn't really come to texas in a in a substantial way uh, when you and your your brother kind of took that on so so what do you remember from those from those early days? I mean, what do you what do you recall about opening the restaurant and and kind of building a a following?
2: It's a really fun question because um, ten years ago, uh, we didn't really know what to expect. Um, first of all, uh, Tatsu Aika, uh, he's my brother, and uh, Taco decided to open up uh, ramen Tatsuya because, there wasn't a ramen shop that uh, they wanted to eat at. Um, They really uh, felt that uh, in Japan or in central Austin or central Texas, uh, there was kind of a a food desert when it comes to uh, Japanese cuisine. And so uh, I think think it all just came from like, you know, nostalgia, uh, a want to understand our own culture uh, our heritage uh, that we built a ramen shop pretty much just so that we could uh, could eat and I do feel like um, it's another surreal experience where like you know we didn't really think that uh, uh, we would be like this successful um, we thought that uh, you know maybe we'll do like hundred um in one day it'll be nice can get you know that, that could be part of our livelihoods and it might be uh you know uh nice things to have but it turns out you know uh there's a a giant community of curious people uh people who are tolerant of different uh, uh cuisines uh lined up to uh to celebrate our first day uh, back 10 years ago and Definitely a great, grateful experience. Uh, I just remember, like, you know, our North Ramen shop in a strip mall uh, used to be, uh, we took over a space that was a, uh, a, a crawfish restaurant, kind of like a via crawfish restaurant. Uh, it doubled as uh, a gambling hall, doubled as a uh, iPhone repair shop. And um, I just remember <laughs> us scrubbing uh, the pots that we inherited because um, uh, we were like, okay, so we're just going to be, uh, we're just going to reuse all this stuff and see what we can do about it. Um, our first pasta cooker was like a roasting pan that we uh, uh, we basically jiggered to make uh, a pasta cooker and uh, we plugged plugged a hole in to make a drain. And basically for the first like a year and a half, we use this, uh, this roasting pan as our pasta cooker, which is if, if anybody in the restaurant industry is uh, hearing this, it's like a, like, what, what did you do? Are you, are you dumb? And so, yeah, I mean, like, I feel like, you know, uh, it's really fun to reminisce after 10 years that like, you know, we, We bought like uh, tables and chairs from a bankrupt Red Lobster. We paid 500 bucks for the entire furniture package. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. We repainted uh, repainted the tables, we repainted the the chairs, and to make it look Asian, we just poked a hole in one of the, the seat backs of our chairs. And you can tell, like when you walk into uh, to a ramen Tatsuya, even in Houston and Austin, um, uh, they all have a, a pretty uh, pretty good mix of uh, OSB boards. OSB boards are uh, corrugated or uh, just pressed, compressed uh, boards that are like really cheaply made, and we use that as a, you know accents and fixtures and 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 anything that we can do with them. So, uh, kind of,
0: kind of a nod to that, uh, to those early DIY days, I guess.
2: Yeah, coming, coming from there and being here and training our new generations, it, it's, it's completely wacko. It's crazy. It's like beyond our wildest dreams. And, and I mean, every day I'm just like, wow.
0: <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, you know, I, I mean, I remember, you know, there was a period of time you know, 2013, 14, 15, kind of when, you know, kind of the standard advice for, for food, like food obsessed Houstonians going to Austin was, you know, you got to go to Tatsuya and you got to go to foreign the domestic. And that, that began, you know, that they were both kind of in North Austin and relatively speaking, not that far from each other kind of made it easy. But you, I mean, you, you, you built a fo- you definitely built a following among Houstonians. It's why you, it's why you opened here so maybe just kind of look back on on that decision and and how you sort of identified Montrose as, as the place to to make your Houston debut
2: you know I think um, uh, as far as uh, picking up real estate um, the location in Montrose is basically its central uh, is central to to everything it's got a great heritage um, uh, there's a lot of People that res- respect and tolerate others there, and we were very happy to uh, be uh, uh, welcomed by by the entire community. Uh, we have lots of uh, we have lots of regulars who are uh, within the service industry and in the strip, uh, as well as um, you know we frequent them as well. So it's really it's a really fun symbiotic relationship, which is a bubble of, of Montrose. Um One of the reasons why uh we decided to open up houston is that you're right uh eric um there were there were like droves of houstonians uh coming um sometimes in packs of 8 12 20 like groups caravans of 20 people would come from houston specifically to uh uh to wait in line at our north uh location in austin and we we don't really ask questions like, "Hey, where are you coming from?" But like, you know, they're very proud of the fact that you know they, they came all the way from Houston. And they're like, "Yeah, we came from Houston." And then the next people online say, "Yeah, we came from Houston." And uh, we were also looking at our uh, website traffic and and saw that there's a lot of search uh, happening from this uh, Houston crowd. So we just thought maybe there's something to it. Um, of course, Houston is a uh, is the most diverse city, and uh, there's lots of Asian representation as well. And so, uh, we thought that you know, a place like Houston, we can we can definitely feel at home. And for the past five years plus, uh, I feel like uh, that has been holding true.
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, obviously. You know, in Austin, you know, you're kind of known for your for your lines, and and you know that's that's a big part of the experience. You know, I've always found Houstonians are maybe a little bit more skeptical about about doing that. So, how did you kind of adapt the Austin dining experience to to suit Houston, and and you know, particularly coming out of the pandemic? I mean, what's it what's it been like um, operating that restaurant?
2: So Raman Tutsi Houston, uh, is our largest footprint as ramen shop. Um, we have the biggest parking lot in the entire company is in Houston. And, uh, we, we were able to, uh, demo a, a couple buildings in order for us to get to the parking spaces. I know that for a lot of Houstonians, uh, people drive to get to somewhere and, uh, it's okay to drive as long as there's parking at the end of the tunnel and so we opted when we built Ramen Tatsu in Houston uh, that we one of the 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 covenants for for for, for being particular for a Houston crowd is to uh, to expand on our parking and be conscious of that as far as the line in uh, in Houston um, we at, at the moment we have the same service model as what is in Houston is in Austin and I think from a lot of the veterans of waiting in line in uh, our locations they know that like every every few seconds you can to take a step you get to uh the, the line moves faster than it looks and the the food comes out faster than, than it seems and uh and I think that, um, as long as we can cross that hurdle of, uh, somebody's mentality of, uh, kind of waiting in line, uh, we are, uh, we are good to go. And I think it's really fun to actually, you know, interact with this line and, uh, you know, grab a drink and, um, speak to, uh, to your neighbors and, uh, get to know them. It's kind of like having a party atmosphere. Um, as much as we uh, we like the line, uh, we we definitely like the people that are in it, and uh, we try to interact with them as as much as possible.
0: Yeah, I I remember going I don't know several months ago, and and you had switched from counter service ordering to sitting at a table and using a QR code to order. And oh, yeah. you know, I was I was sat by I was seated by this young guy, you know, and I'm you know I'm in my. I've got gray hair, I'm in my mid 40s. Uh and I think he profiled me because he was like, "Do you know how that works?" <laughs> and I was like, uh <laughs> I was like, "Did you did you seriously just ask me that? Like we've been living with QR codes for, you know, 2 years now." It's like, "Yeah, buddy, I I got it. Thank you." But, you know, yeah, yeah I think I um I, I mean, like like on some level I kind of appreciate how efficient it is, right? Cuz I I order and pay on my phone and and then when I'm done, I can walk out and it's all, you know, everything's square.
2: It's true. Uh, there is a lot of advantages to QR codes, but my, uh, our team uh, decided to uh, get away with that. Um, we really wanted to, uh, to have interactions, to be able to have our cashiers be able to explain what the historical context and the, uh, the types of ramen that there are in offering. Um, as well as being being conscious to uh, to uh, to knowing that there's a lot of people out there still uh, they um, they may have some hangups with um, funny sounding ingredient names, and so um, one of our biggest goals in ramen tatsuya is to educate people on regionality and ingredients and uh, what is typically eaten with. Uh, which certain bowls of ramen. And we weren't able to do that if we were just seating somebody at a QR uh, at a table and then having a QR code uh, go through selecting the menu. I mean, let's say, for example, if you're a completely new person and you look at a menu, uh, you would kind of be a little bit confused. You might be a little bit intimidated. There's some Japanese words in it. Um, and some may some people may be afraid of asking questions, and we really didn't want that intimidation. We wanted uh, people to feel welcome, uh, people to feel that they uh, they are a part of our community as well.
0: So okay, so 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 you're saying the next time I go back, I'm not
2: going to get profiled. That's that's important. Definitely not. And uh, what's what's going to be your order?
0: You know, I'm like a pretty standard. You know, I I mean, I I usually get either the an OG or a Shoyu you tonkatsu ramen. You know, if I if I'm hungry, maybe a little extra chasu. You know, maybe a spice bomb to just to kick it up a little bit. Yeah, uh, that's good. Usually, and usually, like usually gyoza. Although I know you guys are are really known for your your Brussels sprouts.
2: Right. No, that's good good order. Uh, I think for any first-timers, I, I definitely uh, recommend the, the original salt-based sauce. Uh, it's, it's, uh, it's the essential element of our tonkotsu broth that you can taste out of your original. So it is actually like, you know, you start with the original and then you go through down the menu and then end back with the original. So then you can kind of like uh, taste the differences in the season of your, uh, of your pork bones, basically. It's kind of fun.
0: Yeah, so I I do, like, even though they're not in Houston, I do just kind of want to talk through these other concepts that you've opened because you, you've really sort of expanded what a Tatsuya restaurant is. I mean, maybe just kind of go through them one by one and, and kind of discuss the scope of your operations.
2: Sure. So in around the same time that we've opened up uh, Ramen Tatsuya in Houston in 2017, we also... Or, uh, opens a location in East Austin called Kimuri Tatsuya. Kimuri Tatsuya is, uh, we inherited a, uh, a barbecue restaurant with, with a couple, uh, couple smokers and, uh, decided to, uh, do this weird thing of mashing, uh, Texas barbecue and, uh, Japanese izakaya. And, uh, we would have, uh, what is typical of a, of, a, of a Japanese izakaya in a hill country sort of a, a representation in a way. So for example, if we, uh, an izakaya would have a uh, takoyaki, which is uh, octopus fritters, um, but in the octopus fritters at Kimuri we would have, uh, for instance, a uh, uh, chili, so it would have chili cheese and takoyaki all in one. Um, another use of the smoker is uh, we do have a uh, large format sized uh, tuna collars. So we would smoke that. Uh, I think we have one of the best briskets in town as well. And, um, and in certain iterations, we would have specials at ramen tatsuya. Coming from the smoker at Kimuri, uh, we would do a uh, brisket ramen or brisket skimmin or any iteration of that, that brisket that comes out of the smoker.
0: And and we should say that's been highly successful, right? I mean, you've gotten, you've made national bestie restaurant lists with that. I mean, you've gotten, it's been busy. You've got great, great attention for it.
2: I think uh, we pride ourselves on trying to be the first of, uh, of anything. And uh, the the whole concept of uh, like the the brisket, being in a bowl of ramen, I mean, it just it just came out of like pure organic fashion. I mean, we we had a we had a friend of ours um, that brought in Franklin Barbecue uh, at one point in our North Austin location, and basically we uh, we just put the brisket on the topping um, of, of an original where or I show you, and then eventually we were like, wait a minute. It's kind of like katsuobushi, like it's kind of like you know smoked tuna, uh, and it's kind of like the essential elements of uh, of Japanese cuisine, like this uh, bonito flakes. And so, let's play around with this smoked thing, uh, and and see if we can extract different flavors out of it or different iterations, different uses. So, uh, it, it got us. It got us thinking. It got us talking, and um, yeah, it it definitely uh, uh, became a thing, and 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 we were very proud of it. So the next in line was uh, Dip 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 Tatsuya. Was uh, was after that? Uh, Dip 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 is a uh, Japanese hot pot restaurant. Um, one of the differences between like a uh, Szechuan-style hot pot restaurant, a Japanese-style hot pot restaurant, is that um, uh, it is one of those places where in Shabu Shabu, uh, one of the tenants of Shabu Shabu is is to showcase um, uh, meat, the quality of meat and quality of produce. So you're dipping your protein, you're dipping your vegetables into a uh, essentially a very, very lightly seasoned broth to cook it. And you're dipping these, uh, this protein or vegetable into another sauce to eat it. And so uh, it is the most uh, bare bones way of uh, kind of consuming uh, cooked food boiling it. And, um, we were able to play around with that idea where, um, yeah, you know, uh, Oh my gosh, 44 farms. is like an hour and a half away. <laughs> Why don't we go there and like pick up some meat? Um, we have a lot of, uh, great relationships with local farmers. We have a mushroom guy. Uh, and so uh, we're very proud of the fact that we can showcase a lot of these, uh, uh uh, our purveyors and vendors uh in this format uh much specifically because um uh, I, I feel like you know uh we we need a little bit more education and seasonality and locality uh as as a community here
0: yeah and then i guess you have the tiki bar too right that's that kind of rounds out the family
2: yeah so tiki Tatsuya was a was a little bit of a, a of, of a change because you know uh, Tiki Tatsuya is not traditionally a, a, a Japanese restaurant per se that, that we can uh, we can say that is from Japan though uh, we take the heritage of uh, Hawaiian immigrants uh, we take the uh, the experience of uh, of of uh, Polynesian, Austronesian. Um, whatever Nesian <laughs> cultures and, uh, and try to apply it into uh, a tiki bar. So there is the food element uh, that is more heavily towards Japanese uh, and uh, Issei, Nisei culture in Hawaii, uh, but also um, the, the American uh, tiki culture is blended in with our drinks as well.
0: So let me ask you the obvious question, which is, uh, can, can we get, any of these in Houston? I, 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 mean, I feel like certainly Kimuri would be highly successful here.
2: So one of the, the plans for uh, uh, Tatsuya is for us to have uh, our ramen shops and uh, our full restaurant or full service concepts, as we call it, um, kind of move in similar locations, uh, maybe not specific to time. Um, I know that we want to move as a group, have sister restaurants, uh, have a community that can be uh put together uh in different places in time. Um, we at the moment I can't tell you anything,
0: <laughs> <laughs> can't or won't.
2: I can't tell you anything because, um, because when I I feel like if I tell you something, Eric, it has to happen. So,
0: I mean, you know, it's, it's not just me, you know, and <laughs> it's, it's, it's the listeners of this podcast who, who are all rooting for this to happen, who are tired of uh, hearing their Austin friends brag about how awesome Kimuri Tetsuya is and how, how lucky they are in ways that we are not.
2: I understand. <laughs> but uh, yeah, we're, we're definitely, uh um, we're, we're, we're here to stay in Houston. Definitely. We're, uh, we're, we put up our roots, uh, with ramen Tatsuya and, uh, we built our logistical supply lines there. Uh, now, uh, now we are, uh, in our, in our stages of planning, uh, to, to get to, uh, more and more locations where, uh, where we feel that there's a, a good community of of, of people uh, willing to uh, to come and dine with us, and uh, I feel like uh, you know Houston is uh, is part of this uh, uh, history of of Tatsu as um, as much as uh, Austin uh, coming in the near future.
0: And then I I know you you mentioned that you're working on a new barbecue restaurant in Austin. It's coming up pretty soon, right? Have you, I, I don't know how much you've said, um, in Austin about, like, I, I don't even think I've seen a name for it yet. Do you, uh, you want to break a little news and, and share some of the details of what's, of what's going on over there?
2: Sure. Um, what's in the hopper right now is a barbecue, uh, ramen Tatsuya, um, It is basically um, everything that we've learned from our ramen locations and uh, smoking barbecue into uh, one uh, place. Basically, um, we just wanted to figure out in this space, uh, what does it mean for a ramen shop in Texas uh, more specifically, Central Texas to look like, and uh, and right now we're still in uh, development of a, a lot of things, from menus to beverages to to uh, to the flow of service. Uh, but uh, we know uh, we are going to be answering the question of what does it mean for a ramen shop to be in Central Texas. Does that does that help? Is that very uh, ambiguous? It's but... it's
0: very ambiguous because you've been running ramen shops <laughs> in Central Texas for for 10 years. So, you know, look, I, I know I know you're going to release all this information when you're ready to release it. But, yeah, I, I, obviously, there's there's considerable interest in how do you take the lessons of 10 years of running ramen shops and then evolve it into something that's that's distinct that 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 is new,
2: I guess. Right. I think the, um, the overall goal if at least for our company is to, uh, is try not to be, uh, stagnant in the way that we, uh, that we, uh, move into new locations or different, uh, uh, concepts or, um, uh, sorry, different locations and, uh, new shops. Um, so, uh, we ask ourselves, uh, um, many times that, you know, what can we do with ramen that, uh, that we haven't done before. And I would say that, uh, you know, this one is kind of like the, our, our, first foray into a, uh, possible multiverse of, of ramen, uh, that will happen.
0: All right. Well, fair enough. Um, I mean, that that does sort of bring me to the end of my questions. Is there anything you want to discuss that I haven't asked
2: you about? Uh, let's see. Oh, man, I don't really have any questions. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, that's
0: okay. Well, no, sometimes sometimes people have topics they, they are expecting me to ask them about, and then, you know, I'm not a mind reader. So i I just like to give you the opportunity to sort of share anything that, that you had hoped to discuss that I didn't. I didn't think up before we started talking. Uh,
2: yeah. So one of our, you know, forays into uh, uh, trying to be seasonal, trying to be uh, uh, innovative with ramen also is uh, with our specials. And today, uh, at least this season, um, we have the Hats Chili Miso, uh, which is a uh, miso infused and in Hats Chili. Um, we have our, toppings of uh, karage which is our fried chicken on top as well uh, we've done a we, we've done this before uh but the fried chicken element is uh is it hits <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah I would I would eat that. that went over man yeah it's been like I said I guess I don't know when you move back from uh QR code ordering to counter service ordering but I guess I just I added myself over how long however long that's been since my last meal at, at your restaurant.
2: Well, um, I feel like, um, one of the things about Houston is that there's so many choices and there's so many places to eat. And I'm, I'm sure as a person who, uh, who looks and eats at restaurants as a job, uh, you have to go everywhere. And I'm seeing like all these like new openings, uh, new changes to, uh, to, uh, uh, to the to landscape of Houston, and I'm kind of jealous because uh you know right, right now I take a, a majority of my time in Austin but like I really want to eat where you eat I, I really want to go where uh Houstonians go because like uh right right now to this day like I'm ever jealous of how diverse and how uh, and how much uh, depth there is in in the Houstonian restaurant scene.
0: Well, yeah, come come visit or, you know, we'll grab a meal together. I'll give you a list. We can do the whole thing.
2: Yeah, I mean, like there's there's not a TNN sandwich in 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 Austin where you can get, you know, uh, duck salad or or I'm, you know, it's hard to find Bonzeo here.
0: Yeah, Bonzeo is the thing to get for sure.
2: Oh, man, that's so good.
0: All right. Well, before I let you go, we have to play the lightning round. Five okay. easy questions, five short answers. Just say the first thing that comes to mind. Shio Nakawa, what is your favorite ingredient? Salt. So, what is the first band you ever saw in concert?
2: <laughs> uh, embarrassingly, it's fastball.
0: <laughs> Their Texas band accounts for something.
2: Yeah, they're from us. What is your fast food guilty
0: pleasure? It has to come from a restaurant with a drive through
2: Oh, easy. Um, so, Mexican pizza from Taco Bell, but I. So, every time I go to Taco Bell, I, they keep running out. So I'm opting for uh, the consistent uh, Doritos Locos Tacos Supreme.
0: <laughs> Who is your favorite professional athlete, past or present?
2: Eric, I'm. Uh, I'm sports agnostic, unfortunately. Um,
0: <laughs> that's okay. That's this, 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 uh, this podcast airs on a sports talk radio station, so I like to have one sports related question every episode. And then finally, when you go to a pizzeria for the first time, what are your go to toppings?
2: Um, oh, gosh, that's hard. Um, I mean, the go to, like, I would say, like, the most basic and the best is pepperoni, but I I like anchovy, ricotta, and lemon. That's like a thing that I like. It's a little weird.
0: Yeah. All right. Um, well, give us the website and the social media. What's the best way for people to keep track of what's going on with Ramen Tatsuya?
2: Yeah, thank you. Um, our website is ramentatsuya.com, and our social media is ramen tatsuya as well and ramen tatsuya houston we have a houston social media as well as um, as an austin ramen tatsuya instagram and and facebook
0: well thanks so much for doing this this was a lot of fun
2: thanks so much eric i appreciate it it's good talking to you
0: yeah you can follow me on instagram at eric sandler keep it locked on CultureMap.com for all the latest houston bar and restaurant news thanks so much for listening i'll be back next week